Father, would you on this Father's Day and this Lord's Day, would you help us as the family of God to give thanks to you, our Heavenly Father, to remember your mighty works, your faithfulness to keep your promises to your people, and the ways that we have a song to sing, a story to tell, a story of your faithfulness to each of us who are in Christ. Help us to have our hearts filled with joy as we remember and as we tell that story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Father's Day is a fitting day to think about your family history. Maybe you have someone in your family that likes to tell stories of days gone past and the winding paths that your forebearers walked down. Uh, This last uh, Christmas break, I was able to hear for the first time in detail uh, the family history on my dad's side of the family. I I knew the broad sketch. Uh, I knew he grew up in Belize. I knew somehow that got back to England, but Uh, I never heard the full accounting of it. Well, thankfully, I had a a living family member, an aunt, who was able to give it. And frankly, I was shocked at what I heard. It was an amazing, fascinating story. It had a touch of bravery in it. I had family members that served in the military and served as policemen in some very dangerous situations. It had a a drop of royal blood in there. Uh, You could trace us all the way back to England and to a exiled royal family member. That was interesting. Uh, There was some mischievousness in the family tree. Uh, At least one of my uh, forebearers was a smuggler on the high seas. That was interesting. There was even a story about a treasure map and buried treasure on an island somewhere. I I came away fascinated and feeling like I understood a lot more about my family. It's helpful to know where you come from if you want to understand where you are or how you got here. It's the reason why days like Father's Day are so important. Uh, I hope, as you've already been exhorted, that if you have the opportunity to express your love and honor to your earthly father that you do so at some point today. Uh, You wouldn't be here without them. But as important as it is for us to know about our earthly family history, it's just as important for you to know your spiritual family history. Your history in the family of God, your forever family. Well, Psalm 105 is in our Bibles, in part, to tell you that history, to recount the story of God's faithfulness to his people, a story you're supposed to be able to know and to tell. If you're a Christian, the story that this psalm sings is your story as well, and it's your story to tell. And that means we need to listen carefully to it so that we can join in singing it as the Lord calls us to. Uh, Now, this sermon will be structured a little differently than normal. There'll be two points to it. Know the story and tell the story. I'm not going to follow exactly the shape of the text because it's so long and because the vast majority of this text is made up just telling this story of God's faithfulness. 
uh, that first portion is going to be basically me retelling this story. And don't despair, even though it'll be lengthy, uh, we'll get to application at the end in uh, a briefer section. Let's begin in that first section. Know the story. Know the story. A good storyteller has a purpose for a story they are telling you. I, I remember being around one family that had a story they seemed to tell every time I was around them. It was a story of uh, the matron of the family who had a reputation for being the sort of person that was never rattled by anything. Uh, so they told the story of when one of her sons was in middle school. He got in trouble, as middle school boys seem incapable of not doing. Uh, there was a particular evening where his youth group was doing a progressive dinner. That is, they, they go from one house to the other, having uh, a bite to eat at each house. You progress from one house to the other. Well, one stop along the way was going to be their house near the end. Well, before that happened, his group stopped by the local middle school. They were doing what middle school boys like to do, tossing about a football and a frisbee. Well, well, one of those articles ended up on the top of the middle school itself. Well, you could be, imagine what happened. One of the boys, her son, volunteered that he would climb up the middle school and go get it. Well, as he's scaling his way up, something goes wrong. And he ends up dangling off the roof of the middle school for a moment before he loses his grip and falls down onto the concrete, breaking his arm. Well, that gets us to the point of the story. The middle school leader called his mother, said, uh, I've got some bad news. Your son has broken his arm. We're taking him to the ER. There was a pause. And then she asked, okay, are you still coming over for dinner? The point of the story was this woman was not rattled by anything. Well, Psalm 105, there was a lot of different scenes. There's a lot of territory covered, and there's a point to it all. They don't, the, the psalmist does not include every event that happens from Abraham to the entering of the promised land. No, he includes specific things to get across a specific point, to get across this, God's faithfulness. To bring his people into his place under his rule. Say it again. His point is to get across God's faithfulness. To bring his people into his place under his rule. I, I've adapted that from a theologian named Graham Goldsworthy. But it's essentially the, the story of God getting his people where he wants them. Into the promised land under God's rule. Uh, now, the way we could go through this, I could take you through the seven stanzas, which are the seven different scenes, but I'm going to condense them to make them a little easier to follow. So we'll look at them in three sections. Uh, that first section will be selection and protection of the patriarchs. That's in verses 7 through 25. He, the, the psalmist takes us all the way back to the, the very beginning, the, the acorn from which the oak tree of God's family sprouts. That is to Father Abraham. You see that in verse 8. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham. 
That takes us all the way back to, to Genesis 12 when God showed up out of nowhere and spoke to a man named Abram at the time. He told Abram, you need to get up and go to a land I'll tell you. Abram didn't have much to go on. He had to act on faith. And yet that God gave him promises. Promises that he would make him into a great nation. Promises that he would bless all the nations of the world through his family. Promises that he would give them a land a place to be planted. Uh, that's what you see down in verse 11, the promise of the land, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Uh, you can describe the story of God's people as this, is how does God's people get to God's place under God's rule? How, how do they get there? And once they get there, how do they mess it up? And how do they get sent out of there? Well, verses 12 through 15 narrate the way that the first few of the family of Abraham make their way down the paths that one day will lead to the promised land. It goes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, the details that are included are to paint a picture, a picture that God's people are tiny and always in trouble, and yet God somehow protects them. And verse 12 tells us they were few in number. Uh, we're told that he keeps people from oppressing them. He, he even rebukes kings on their account. Now, the, the psalmist is intentionally not nailing this to just one specific story. But you can think of stories like the time when Abraham decided it was a good idea to pretend his wife was his sister so that King Abimelech would not in, try to kill him and steal his wife. Well, God intervened to make sure that Sarah was not, uh, had her, uh, was not dishonored in that moment. Now, that's just one of many occasions where God's people, frankly, act very foolishly. And yet God again and again protects them and brings them faithfully through all the sticky situations they get themselves in. <clears throat> Those paths continue until in verses 12 through, uh, 16 through 22, we get to the generation of Joseph. Now, Joseph's story is a difficult one. If you go through and read through those chapters of Genesis, Joseph has a pretty hard path to walk. I mean, he's betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He gets wrongly accused, tossed into jail, left to rot there. And yet, in all of this, God is working providentially. God is working to provide and protect his people. We're told that God sent a man ahead of them in all of these things happening to Joseph. Joseph ended up in prison so that one day he would be able to provide for God's people, his family. Remember how he is given that gift of interpreting dreams? And as a result, he gets Pharaoh's favor and ends up becoming the second most powerful man in the entire land, able to give his family the food they need to survive the famine that God sends. All of this is God's doing. His protecting of his people and providing what they're going to need long before they know they're going to need it. Well, at the end of that, after all of his people are now in Egypt and settled in verse 24, uh, 23, we pick up, 
Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. No longer are they tiny and in trouble. Now they are multiplied. There are many of them to the point where the Egyptians are beginning to get worried. But in fact, verse 25 tells us God is the one making the Egyptians worried. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. That first section shows us his protection and selection of this family to be his people. Setting the stage for what's undoubtedly the biggest example of God's faithfulness in the Old Testament. What he does through Moses. The defeat and deliverance in the Exodus. Defeating the Egyptians and delivering his people out of Egypt. Uh, That's what we see in verses 26 through 42. Now kids, I need your help here. This is a time in church where it's okay for you to yell something out. How many plagues did God send through Moses on the Egyptians? If you know it, go ahead and yell it out. Ten. Good. All right. As I would expect from kids with such quality children's ministry and discipleship at home. Ten. Now, it's interesting that even though there are ten plagues that were sent as recorded in Exodus that in this psalm, only eight of them are recorded. Numbers five and six are missing. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's because the ones that are included are intentionally showing us that every corner of Egypt ends up under God's judgment. Everything from the far-off fields to the inner sanctuaries of their kings, there's nowhere that is untouched by God as he brings judgment down on his enemies to defeat them and to deliver his people. In 26 through 36, he goes through that laundry list. All of these plagues, each one of them like a divine missile sent at one of the gods of Egypt, right at their supposed point of strength, the the Nile River, their crops, the inner uh, palace of their God king. In all of this, God is showing that he is stronger than the gods of Egypt. And all of it leads up to him leading his people out. And and not just leaving, they, they leave with treasure for their troubles. You see that verse 37? Then he brought them out of Egypt with silver and gold. And there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed. So great was the defeat that they were glad to sign a check on the way out. Just see you later, don't come back. God's people on their way out. Now kids, uh, I want you to draw something for me. If you have a a paper, uh, something to draw on. I want you to pick one of the stories that I've told you so far along the way here and draw whatever you remember of it. And later on in the sermon, I'm going to come back and I'm going to have something else for you to draw. Okay, so you can do that for me. Okay, there's one last movement here. They move from the wilderness into the promised land. Uh, We're told of the way God provides for them in the wilderness. He, He provides everything they need from a cloud over their head from the hot sun to fire at night to be able to see. He gives them quail and bread from heaven, the manna to eat. He gives them water from the rock. He does all this and we're told why in verse 42. 
For he remembered his promise and Abraham his servant. All of these mighty works he does. But the point is not the works themselves. The, more, the point is to prove he is faithful to his people. To protect them and select them. Yes, to deliver them and to defeat their enemies. And one last step to give them a land and a law to live under. 43 through 45. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations. They took possession of the fruit of the people's toil that they may keep his statutes and observe his laws. They are given the very thing he promised Abraham. They're given fields to harvest that they didn't plant, houses to live in that they didn't build, wells to drink from that they didn't dig. They are given a land full of abundance, a place to live, a place to be planted under God's rule. Did you notice that, that last verse there? They were given his statutes and his laws. They are to be a people that are holy like the God that they serve. God was faithful. Faithful to bring his people to his place under his rule. That, that's what this song is remembering. Now, I just want to pause at this point before we move on to most of the application to speak to the fact that we live in a day with great and declining Bible literacy. Uh, a time when uh, there's much illiteracy of the basic stories of the Bible Fewer and fewer people know the stories which I've just skimmed over the top of uh, in these last 15 minutes. That's one of the reasons why it's so important that we continue to be a church that teaches the basics, that just goes through books of the Bible, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, because we can't take for granted anymore that people know it. It's also one of the reasons why our children's ministry tries to have some meat on its bones, to, to teach our kids what the very words of God say from the earliest age we can at a depth that will challenge them and grow them. Now, I, I hope you see yourself as a student of the Bible. And if you're at a point where much of the story that I just described there was new to you, don't be discouraged. Just know that means that you have more things to delight in as you learn about God's work that he's done to be faithful to his people. Now, this whole story that's told is for a purpose, to show God's faithfulness, but it's also a call to action. And that's our second point. Know the story and tell the story. Now, the psalm begins and ends in the same place with praise. Uh, praise the Lord is the last line of it. If you go back to the first six verses, uh, the, this is, a, in essence, a call to worship. A call for God's people together to praise him for what he's done. And, but there's two elements to their praise. Two elements where the, as they tell the story, it goes to different audiences. The first, in verse 1, this story is proclamation. It is witnessing to the nations. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Psalm 105 is the second to last psalm in book four of the book of, the, of Psalms. Uh, 
And uh, if you remember back to the sermon that Nicholas Piotrowski preached on the, the whole book, book four is the book of exile. That means that this is a song that's put here for a reason. This is a song to be sung by a people that are in long, far off and lonely Babylon. A people longing to get back to the place that they lost. A people that were ripped away from their home and are trying desperately to survive, hoping that one day they might be able to get back to the promised land. Uh, it's got a companion psalm to it. Maybe this afternoon read Psalm 106. Uh, has the same sort of idea, narrating through different events with a different emphasis. I'll let you discover it on its own. But notice that verse 1, they are supposed to sing this song loud enough that the nations can hear it. Well, where are they? They are in the nations. They are off in a far-off land, surrounded by people that don't know their God, and yet here they are. They are called to proclaim God's faithfulness, to sing loud enough that they could be heard. The second way this song is to be used is for praise, to lead God's people in worship. You can see that in verses 2 and verses 5 through 6. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works. Verse 5 Remember the wondrous works he has done, his miracles and the judgments he's uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. This is a song designed to remind us. Remind us of the things that we know that God did in the past. His faithfulness to his people down through the ages. And as our hearts remember even find ourselves transported back to those moments of his mighty works, we find our hearts are filled with faith. Yes, he still is a God that can make good on his promises. He still can be trusted, and he is worthy of our worship. So that's what this psalm was used for while they were in exile far away from home. What does that have to do with you? Well, realize this story of God's faithfulness, as beautiful as it is, wouldn't, would just be a historical uh, uh, curiosity, something that might pique your interest, if not for this. Realize this story is your story as well. Galatians 3.29 tells us that you are a grafted branch. You are part of the lineage of Abraham. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The promise is given to the patriarchs and, and every generation of God's people down through the ages are yours. If you're in Christ, that means that this story is your story as well as it was theirs. I remember once uh, sitting with a student as uh, another student got up and gave a testimony of their family's uh, service to Christ. Uh, they they had, uh, came from a family with generations of preachers and missionaries. It could be traced back hundreds of years. It was incredible. Uh, we all came, back, uh, came away in awe. But I looked over at the student I was sitting with, and I noticed his face was crestfallen. He looked sad. I asked him, what's wrong? And he said, well... I don't have a family like that. 
my parents are the only Christians. I, my grandparents, everyone before them, as far as I know, they, they didn't know Christ. That's amazing, but I'll never have a story like that. Now, I, I was able to point him to the fact that if he's a part of the family of God, he's got a story of his family, his forever family, that goes way further back than a couple of hundred years. It goes back and back and back to the very beginning. Do you realize no matter how many generations of believers you might have in your flesh and blood family, that if you're a Christian, that your family tree extends all the way back. Uh, Maybe you find yourself feeling a little lonely, a, a little disconnected. Do this thought exercise for you. Ask yourself, how did I come to know Christ? Was it a parent or an aunt or a Sunday school teacher that told you about him when you put your trust in him? Whoever it was, think, how did they come to know Christ? Well, someone did the same thing for them. And if you trace that person back, again, another generation and another generation, eventually you'll get to some missionary who came from a far off land to bring the gospel to a people who hadn't heard. And if you go further back than that, at some point you'll get to the Protestant Reformation. And before that, you'll get to the things we're studying in church history on the core classes on Wednesday nights, to the Middle Ages, and back to the early church fathers. And you'll eventually trace your spiritual lineage back to the very 12 apostles and to the very Son of God, the only Son from the Father, sent to hang on a cross to bring you as an adopted son or daughter into God's family. Brothers and sisters, maybe you've had a hard week and you feel lonely and disconnected. Would you remember? Would you remember that your forever family, its branches stretch out so much further, so much further than anything in this world? Realize that this is your story as well. But but more importantly, realize that this is your story to tell. Now, there are so many different ways you can tell of God's faithfulness and the story of his faithfulness to his people. You you could tell the big story like we've just done today, or you could tell small parts of it. Ask yourself, how has God been faithful to you in your life? What story do you have of him making good on his promise never to leave you or forsake you? Of Of his promise to hear your prayers? Or to use the prayers of others to get you through a trial or difficulty. What story has he given you to tell? Uh, I loved last Sunday night we had a, a prayer meeting. We got to hear about five testimonies. Different snapshots. Small sections of the big story of how God is faithful to his people. Each of them were different. Each unique. Each beautiful. God is faithful to bring us through difficult medical situations and losing jobs and estrangement from family members. He's faithful to pull us out from dark pits of depression. Each of us has a story, but the question is, are we ready to tell it? I wonder if maybe God will have someone for you to share your story with this week. Friend, if so, if you feel the Spirit prompting you to open your mouth and tell your story, don't hold back. You'll never regret obeying the prompting of the Spirit. And you will only increase your joy as you tell of the faithfulness of God in your life.
Uh, this also has a, a big influence on the way we think about evangelism. Realize every time you come face to face with someone who's willing to hear about Jesus, you're getting a chance to tell them God's story of faithfulness. That's not an accident that person's there. That's part of God's story of faithfulness too. Uh, this week, I had an unusual feeling of freedom sharing the gospel with someone. Um, this does not happen to me all the time, but this particular time it did. Uh, someone came into church looking to talk with somebody. And uh, someone came and told me about it. I went, I walked up and met them. And as soon as I met them, I just had this sense that I could tell them that this was a meeting was a part of something much bigger. So I introduced myself to him. I learned his name and I told him, wow, you're finally here. God's had this appointment on your calendar your whole life. We're, we're finally here. Let's get to it. Well, the look on his face, <laughs> he was like, what in the world? But he was interested. And we were able to talk, and it turned out there was a conversation that God had for us to have. I was able to share the story, the story of God's faithfulness in my life, the story of God's faithfulness to all those who have trusted in Christ. I, I was able to tell him that this could be his story as well if he would just trust Christ himself. Brothers and sisters, I hope you're ready to be able to tell that story. I hope no matter where you are, in line at the grocery store or dropping a kid off to some program or on the phone with a family member, that when the opportunity strikes and you feel the Spirit prompting, that you're ready to tell the story of God's faithfulness to His people. Because that's a story so good, you just have to share it. Brothers and sisters, I hope your heart is filled with joy as you recount in your mind the story of a faithful God, a God that would take a people for himself, that would bring them to a good place, a place for them to dwell and live and flourish, and to give them all they need to live a life, a life fitting for his servants. Brothers and sisters, that's what you've been called to in Christ. This is your story. I hope you're ready to sing it. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song that captures this idea so beautifully that this is our story to tell as well. The lyrics of it go like this. And all the promises, all of the praise, all of your people have sung through the ages. No matter the season, the song is the same. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your name. I hope you're ready to sing. Let's pray.